invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to look at the final episode in the episodes of the first chapter of Luke. So we're going to start at verse 57 and go right on through to verse 80. Luke 1, 57 through 80. If you're using a pew Bible, you could find that on page 1026 in the small print. <clears throat> Beloved, listen to God's word. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zachariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately, Zechariah's mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the whole country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, father Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago, Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Imagine the scene. You are one of the relatives come to celebrate the circumcision and naming of the miraculous newborn of Zachariah and Elizabeth. There's a buzz in the room. Things have already been so unusual. Memories of Sarah and Abraham and of Hannah are thick in the air. Elizabeth looks so regal and aglow, cradling her newborn son. You can't help but notice a thick strand of her white-gray hair fall on the baby's face. She whisks it away to reveal a countenance flush with joy and love. As people greet her and engage her in small talk, you notice Zachariah standing by quietly, very quietly, tongue-tied, in fact, literally unable to speak. You'd heard this had happened over nine months ago when he was standing in the temple. He came out dumbstruck, literally struck dumb by the angel Gabriel, he said. 
He was speechless. Your attention from Zechariah and Elizabeth is diverted when the priest arrives. Prior to circumcising this relative of yours, according to custom, the priest, also according to custom, turns and says, in all good memory and in, in good order of the faithful departed and now living kin of this child, his name shall be Zach. But just then, just as the priest is about to name him after his father Zechariah, Elizabeth blurts out, no, his name will be John. You should see your face. You are stunned. You notice yourself holding your breath, your eyebrows raising and your toes curling inwards in your sandals. You look at the priest. He pauses, takes a deep breath, purses his lips with a grimace, and then glances over and down disapprovingly at Elizabeth. The pause extends and the silence becomes so thick you can cut it. The priest then very deliberately and with an air of contempt clears his throat and says, Ahem. I beg your pardon, Elizabeth. And then he turns his head slowly in an exaggerated motion away from Elizabeth and stares directly at Zachariah. But Zachariah can't speak. And so Zachariah just stares back. You then overhear others trying to cut the tension by reminding Elizabeth, as if she didn't know, that none of their relatives have that name. So what are you talking about, Elizabeth? Things get even more interesting as you see Elizabeth widen both eyes, place one hand on one hip, one on the other, and stand resolute. This slight woman is a mountain, immovable. His name will be John, she repeats without blinking an eye. It's electrifying. Not only is Elizabeth shirking naming conventions, but now social conventions too. After all, she is a woman, and in your culture, she did not have the authority to name that child. That authority ultimately belonged to her husband. And she, she was really going out on a limb here. Audacious. That's why you now see everyone turning to Zachariah somewhat frantically to see what Zachariah wants the child to be named. A few scramble here and there to find a writing tablet. But surprisingly, Zachariah does not contradict his wife. He scribbles on the tablet, turns it around to reveal the name. John. His name will be John. Incredible. Even more incredible, however, is that at the very moment that Zechariah flips the sign around to reveal the name John, at that very moment, his once tied tongue becomes untied. And he who was dumbstruck is unstruck and bursts forth in magnificent speech, praise, and prophecy. You are gobsmacked. All the hair on your arm stands like icicles falling upwards. You feel a shiver down your spine. You look around and everyone appears to be enraptured similarly in a heightened, elevated state. Zechariah just goes on praising God in splendid speech and then also prophesying in the power of the Spirit about the destiny of his newborn son, John, forerunner of the Messiah. What a day. You and the others Listen on in wonder, anticipation, marveling. Beloved, one of the keys of good biblical interpretation is to ask good questions of the text. And one of the very good questions, I believe, one of the primary good questions we ought to ask of the text before us this morning is this one. 
Why is it that at the moment that Zechariah turns the sign around to reveal the name John, he who had his tongue tied by the angel Gabriel suddenly has it untied. And he breaks forth in praise and prophecy of God, speaking the truths of God and about God in the world. Hold that question in your mind. Another key to good biblical interpretation is to read passages within context. When we do that of the text that we have just looked at and imaginatively entered, when we do that looking at what came before it, what we find is that the two episodes leading into this episode actually provide an interpretive key to why it is that Zechariah, who is struck dumb, is given the gift of speech once again when he shows the sign. What I would like to show you is that the episode of the angel Gabriel appearing um, to Zechariah and then the episode of the angel Gabriel appearing to Mary are crafted carefully by Luke so that they are written in parallel. They unfold in lockstep. The same narrative pattern that you see in the story to Zechariah is the same narrative pattern that you see in the story of Mary. This gives us the key to the question, the interpretive key, I believe, to our text and a spiritual lesson for us. So if I could have the overhead, I want to just show you this because it's much easier to see than it is to um, explain. There's 10 correspondences between the story of Gabriel appearing to Zechariah, and I give you the text references there. Hopefully you can read it and then showing up to Mary. Let's go to our first slide. I'm going to have to turn around because it's not appearing on my back screen. Oh boy, is that small? Can you see that? No, you can't. Okay, I'm learning a PowerPoint. The other staff says I'm horrendous with PowerPoint, but I will learn this. So you'll see that they proceed in the same way. The story of Gabriel uh, showing up to Zechariah begins with a time indicator, and so too with the story of Mary. In the time of King Herod, king of Judea, and then on the other side, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And then both proceed with a character description with emphasis on their childless state. So with reference to Zechariah, there was a priest named Zechariah who had a wife Elizabeth. They were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. And then on the other side, with Mary, God sent the angel Gabriel to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. The virgin's name was Mary. And then they proceed again the same way when Gabriel appears to them. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And then on the other side, the other episode, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And then the next slide. A fourth point of correspondence. Both of them are struck with fear, and both of them are told not to fear. And there's some Greek there for those of you who are Greek students. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear, phobos. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, me phobu. Mary was greatly troubled, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, me phobo. It's the exact same in the Greek. And then both of them moved to an announcement of a son. You're to bear a son. 
on Zachariah's side, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and then with Mary, you have found favor with God, Mary. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And then both of them announce the name that this son is supposed to have. You are to call him John. You are to call him Jesus. And then the seventh and eighth points of correspondence, the announcement of the destiny of the son. And just summarizing Zachariah's side, he's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah, preparing the way of the Lord, and Jesus is going to be the son of the Most High, he who is going to sit on the throne of David. But here's where the parallel gets interesting. And here's where we begin to learn something, because look at the contrasting responses. On Zechariah's side, he asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? Zechariah wants proof. Zechariah does not receive the word that is spoken to him, the promise that is given to him, with trust. He needs proof. He needs a sign that what the angel has said is going to come true, is going to come true. But on the other side, Mary says, how will this be? She proceeds from a posture of trust. Not how can this be, but how will this be? It's a question of delight and curiosity, since I am a virgin. Next, Luke describes what happens after this. And it continues to be different. So whereas Mary, who responds in trust, immediately breaks out into prayer, or into praise, and to prophecy about God, and about the truth of God, as one filled with the Holy Spirit, she who is given spectacular speech about the truths of God, Zechariah on the other side, who did not respond in faith, who did not simply receive the promise that was coming to him, the word of God coming to him with trust, he instead is struck down. He cannot praise, give praise, authentic praise. He cannot break out into prophecy, and there's a bit of irony going on here. He who demands a sign from God and won't receive the word is given over only to being able to communicate with signs and not to be able to communicate with words. And then we see that both of the texts end when they return home. So when his time of service was completed, Zechariah returned home. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Sorry, I'm still, I was out sick last week. I'm still over, coming over it. It wasn't COVID. I got to go get tested. So. But you see what's going on here. Whereas Mary responds to the promise of God that comes to her in faith and in humble trust, whereas she immediately bursts forth into words of praise and prophecy about what God is doing in the world, Zechariah, who does not respond to the promises of God in trust, is struck dumb, which is to say he is dis he is unable, he is not empowered by the Spirit of God to break out into words of praise and the truth about what God is doing in the world. Prophecy. And the spiritual lesson of the comparison of these stories, friends, seems to be this. Unless we respond to the promises of God in faith, we will not be able to offer authentic praise to God 
and prophecy about God in this world. And the proof is in the pudding in our text. Because when is it that Zachariah's tongue that was tied suddenly is enabled to break forth in praise and in prophecy as we just read? It's at the very moment that he acts in faith to name his son John against all convention, against all social custom, was an act of faith that what the angel Gabriel said would happen, would indeed happen. Unless we are willing to receive the promises of God in faith, in trust, Luke seems to be teaching us, we will not be able in an authentic way, to break forth in the power of the Holy Spirit in words of praise to God and prophecy about God, witnessing to the truth of what God is doing in this world. That seems to be what's going on in our text. Now, the question for us, and the one I'd like to address this morning, is this one. Why is this important? More specifically, why is this important in relationship to our whole Advent series about the in-breaking kingdom of God, the eruption of the kingdom of God, God's kingdom, God's reign breaking into this world? It's this. Beloved of God, God wants us to participate in the in-breaking of His kingdom in this world. And one of the ways Indeed, one of the principal ways, one of the first ways, one of the predominant ways that God's kingdom, his reign, breaks into this world is through the word. The word of God comes first. And then the reality, the full reality to which that word points, comes later. The kingdom of God, the reign of God, breaks into this world first and foremost through you and me, primarily, not only but primarily, through our words of praise, which confronts the world with the truth about God, who does reign on high, and comes through our proclamation of the word of truth. Again, the word of God confronts the world. It makes a claim on the world. It's a word that must be responded to. The reign of God is breaking in, and one of the first ways it breaks in is through the word. The word comes first, and then the reality to which that word points comes later. This is a truism throughout biblical history. I just want you to see this for a second. Think about it. And this comes through God, but then also God invites us to participate to speak his word, and his kingdom is made present in that word which must be responded to. The reality comes later. But look at this. In Genesis, God speaks his word, and then the reality to which that word points comes later. The creation of the world. God said, let there be light, and then there was light. But the word comes first, and it represents it is indeed the power of the reign of God breaking into the world. It's what happens with Noah. The word of God comes to Noah. The reign of God captivates Noah's heart. And then the reality to which that word pointed, i.e. there will be a flood and God's going to save Noah and his family through the ark, that comes later. The word of God comes to Abraham first. 
I will bless you. I will make you a blessing. You will be a great nation. The reality to which that word points only comes later. But the kingdom of God breaks into the world first and foremost as a word. And God establishes his reign in and through that word of promise. And he also does it through human beings. Samuel tells David, he comes to David with the word, you will be a king. And later, David does become a king. It's what we have going on in our text. The word comes to Zechariah, your wife will have a son. And then the son comes after. Same with Mary. You will have a son. The word, the kingdom of God, the reign of God breaks in first and foremost as a word. The New Testament tells us that Jesus will come again to judge the quick and the dead. The reign of God, God's claim on this creation and on the human beings with it, breaks into this world and establishes itself through that proclaimed word. We are confronted, first of all, by the reign of God in and through a word. And the thing that's going on in our text, what we're seeing here, I believe, in the narrative dimensions of this, is that we are being invited also to see the kingdom of God break into this world, the reign of God establish itself through our praise of God and through our prophecy about what God is doing in this world, the word of truth. However, friends, what Luke is teaching us is that unless we believe the word that we have received, the promises that have come to us from God, unless we embrace them in a humble faith like Mary who says, may it be to me as you have said. We will not, in an authentic, spirit-empowered way, be able to praise and prophesy about God in a way that will see the reign of God break into this world through us. We must believe. We must have faith that what God says is true. And I don't think this is hard to see. Let me just give one example of how practically you can see why this is true. Like, take Paul's words in Romans 1, 16 through 17. Oh, excuse me. That's not nice, but here we go. Um, in uh, 16 and 17 of Romans chapter 1, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is the power of God for the salvation first of the Jew, then of the Gentile. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of the world. Not ashamed of it. If you do not believe deep down in your heart that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of the world's people, are you going to be able to proclaim that in a way, in an authentic way in the world? Probably not. You're probably not going to be disposed to going and tell others about the great salvation that God has wrought in Jesus Christ. It's going to be hard. That word is not going to come through you with great power. So insofar as it's up to us, and I'm not saying it's all up to us, but insofar as it is, it seems that we must believe. We must have faith in the promises. We must trust in what God has told us. And so here's the question that I have for you this morning, and with which I will conclude. Where in your life right now are you struggling to trust the promises of God? Where is it in your life right now that you need 
is simply pray for the Holy Spirit to empower you to receive this Word and to believe it in a humble, receptive, submissive, childlike faith. To say to the Lord, I don't know how this will work, but how will this be rather than how can this be? Perhaps you need to hear the promise of God in Jeremiah 29.11 again. Maybe this is where you need to trust God. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Do you trust this word? Maybe you need to hear God's word to you in Isaiah 43, verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Maybe some of us need to hear the word of Psalm 103, verse 12, and cling to this word in faith. As far as the east is from the west, so far has the Lord removed your transgressions from you. If you are in Christ, guilty Christian, you are forgiven. Though you may live in shame, your past is no more. Your past deeds no longer define you. Trust that. You are a new creation in Christ. When you believe that, you can rise up with a word of praise that will make the kingdom present. Maybe you need to hear this promise from Matthew 6. Whom of you by worrying could add a single hour to his life? Your heavenly Father knows what you need. Therefore, and here's the promise, therefore, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. What promise of God do you need to hear again this morning and to trust it so that you can rise up and praise and prophesying so that the kingdom can break into the world through you today? I saw a video this past week of a young girl named Shelby. Shelby Houston was her name. She stood up to speak at a funeral this past week, a funeral that happened to be of her own father. Her father's name is Richard Houston, and he's an officer, the Texas police, who was murdered in the line of duty. Shelby had been raised as a Christian. She'd been told that God gives grace to the humble as we need it, even grace to do the hardest of hard things he calls us to do, that he commands us to do. And she trusted this promise. As a result, the kingdom of God I believe the reign of God was established as she spoke a word of truth. And if you doubt this, I just invite you to pay attention to the video that's going to be shown here and pay attention to what it does to your heart. Here's what she said when she stood up at her father's funeral. Go ahead and play that clip. I remember having conversations with my dad about him losing friends and officers in the line of duty. I have heard all the stories you can think of, but I've always had such a hard time with how the suspect is dealt with. 
Not that I didn't think there should be justice served, but my heart always ached for those who don't know Jesus. Their actions being a reflection of that. I was always told that I would feel differently if it happened to me. But as it's happened to my own father, I think I still feel the same. There has been anger, sadness, grief, and confusion. And part of me wishes I could despise the man who did this to my father. But I can't get any, of, any part of my heart to hate him. All that I can find is myself hoping and praying for this man to truly know Jesus. I thought this might change if the man continued to live. But when I heard the news that he was in stable condition, part of me was relieved. My prayer is that someday down the road, I'd get to spend some time with the man who shot my father. Not to scream at him, not to yell at him, not to scold him, simply to tell him about Jesus. I remember having conversations with my dad about him losing friends and officers in the line. Let's pray. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would give us believing hearts. Help us to trust the promises that you have spoken to us through your word as they have passed down, been passed down from generation to generation. Help us to trust the word that is most difficult for us right now. And as we do, Lord, that we might break forth in a praise and a truth-speaking that makes your kingdom present. Ignite our hearts with your love. Enable us by your spirit, Lord, to do what is natively impossible for us. Pray this for the advance of your kingdom on this earth as we anticipate the full reality to which these words point to their coming. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, and let us be found faithful in the meantime. It is in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.